Um, I have an idea, but anyway. Um, that and my, my voice isn't cooperating. So, Father, we just ask that as we get ready to look into your word, I ask for clarity of thought, and I ask that you would help me communicate what is on your heart and mind today for us. Holy Spirit, come. Speak through me. Clear my head. And help my voice. <clears throat> In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, David was uh, talking about relational connections. And today we're starting a new series uh, that is going to talk about a specific relational connection. And that is we're starting a series that has to do with marriage. I mean, it seems that all around us I see uh, uh, more and more you know, marriages are struggling. You know, according to the American Psychological Association, uh, about 40 to 50 percent of married couples in the United States divorce. And the divorce rate for subsequent marriages is even higher. And personally, I believe there's a couple of reasons for this. One is, you know, uh, 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 the rapidly changing views on marriage in our culture. You know, I mean, we have such rapidly changing views on, 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 on what marriage is. We can't even agree on what marriage is, let alone on, you know, uh, uh, what a successful marriage looks like. If you don't know what it is, then how do you know what a successful marriage looks like? So, and that's been changing so much in our culture. Uh, you know, <clears throat> when I used to talk about this, I used to say in the last 50 years, I will say in the last 15 years, there has been so much change in this area, and there's no target to shoot for anymore, it seems. Um, another major factor is that as the number of divorces and broken families increases, we have fewer and fewer models of what a successful, lasting marriage looks like. We have fewer and fewer examples to look to. Um, how many here can say their parents were married for 50 years? Good. 55. 60. 65. Any? Yeah, my parents almost made it. They, 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 they missed that by six months before they passed. No, actually, I take that back. They were married 65 and a half years. But I mean, as I, as, as I talk to people, I find more and more, you know, that, that, that the numbers go down of, of how long uh, 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 marriages last, you know, um, We've seen in my family, of course, my, my you know, parents, 65 and a half years, uh, and then uh, we see other family members that, that are, are, are on their, 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 their second marriage or, you know, and, ma and many on their third. And, you know, the, the, the idea is that, that marriage is broken in our country. It is broken in our society, and we don't have much to look to or examples to look to 
Uh, and because more and more as they break up, that's the model that we have. That's the model that the kids have to look forward or to, to, to look toward. So, you know, in this series, and there goes my throat, <clears throat> in this series, we're not going to try to answer, answer all the questions that everybody has on marriage. You know, we do a marriage series every so often, and we kind of hit a, on a different uh, 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 aspect or whatever on each one. But we're not going to try to answer all of the, uh, all of the uh, questions. My goal in this series is to give some practical device, practical things that you can implement that will help your marriage not just succeed. I don't, I don't think watch, having a marriage succeed or last is the goal. That's not the goal I want. I'm good, thanks. That's not the goal I want. I want a marriage to thrive. I want my marriage to thrive. I want your marriage to thrive. I want marriages to thrive. I think sometimes we settle for, well, as long as we stay together. That's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for marriages to, 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 to thrive, whether it's the first one, whether it's the second one, whether it's the third one. Whatever you're in right now, I want your marriage to thrive and to be everything that it, that it can be. Um, so you know, these, these will, uh, things that we're going to talk about are going to help you whether you're newly married, whether you're married for a long time, whether you're planning on being married, hoping to get married, if you're, you know, but, but even if you're not married and never plan to be married, um, first of all, you never say never. Uh, you know, even if, you're, if, if you never plan to be married, there will also be things that you can take and apply to your life that will help you thrive in your relationships. Because a lot of the things we're going to be talking about have, have application throughout all of our relationships, you know, maybe specifically to marriage, but it can be taken and applied elsewhere as well. Jimmy Evans, who's anybody here at Jimmy Evans? He's a founder of uh, and CEO of Marriage Today, and he wrote a book several years ago called Marriage on the Rock. And uh, in the book, he lists four laws of marriage. And, you know, this is uh, somewhat based on those uh, for the most part, only we're going to be talking in terms of instead of four laws, we're going to be looking at four vows, four vows that we make that enable us to have a thriving marriage. And I, I prefer the language of vows rather than laws because whereas laws seems like this passive term that it just you know if something's a law it just just happens in that uh, vows imply active commitment and that's really what marriage takes it takes active commitment a good marriage or one that lasts one that thrives takes a lot more than just feelings of love and strong emotions it takes actively being committed to the marriage now Every marriage has issues. Every marriage has problems. Every marriage has ups and downs and challenges. A marriage that lasts requires doing the hard work of learning how to work through the problems and challenges. So the four vows we're going to be taking a look at that we're going to start today, starting today with the vow of priority. We're going to talk about that today. It's all about keeping our priorities right in marriage or in any relationship, really. Any relationship, it's important to have your priorities in order. Then next week, we're going to talk about the vow of pursuit. How often, you know, often we think of pursuit more in terms of dating. But once the dating is over and we... You know, both, both uh, 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 people end up saying, I do, 
um, the pursuit is not over. The pursuit needs to continue. Then we're going to look at the vow of partnership. We're going to look at the difference between a covenant and a contract. We're going to look at the concepts of leadership and submission. Yes, I said that word in church. And, and, and see what the Bible actually says. That's, that's not a word that you like to use anymore because it's gotten such a, you know, so much, so much, so much stuff to it, right? Right? Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay. Well, we're going to talk about that and, and what the, see what the Bible actually says about, about that. And, you know, I, I, I think it's one of the most misunderstood aspects uh, of marriage. And then last but definitely not least, we're going to talk about the vow of purity, not only in marriage but before marriage. You see, we live in a world that's broken in this area, and we're going to talk about how to survive in a broken world. But today... As I said, we're going to start with the vow of priority. And we're going to begin by asking a question. I want to ask this question, who's the one? Who's the one? As people, we tend to focus a lot on finding the one, don't we? I mean, you, you know, you go out with somebody for a while, you come home one day, and after a great time, you, a, a great date, and, and you say, man... I think she may be the one. She may be the one I've been waiting. She, you know, man, she's really something. Or the girl calls her mother and says, Mom, I met the most wonderful guy. His name is Dave. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I met the most wonderful guy. I think he may be the one. The one I've been looking for. The one I've been waiting for. He, he may be the one. We search and search looking for the one. The one who will complete us. The one who's the key to my happiness. The one who, who is going to enable me now to be fulfilled in life. The one who's going to enable me to have a meaningful life. All our dreams and our hopes for our future rest in finding the one. <coughs> and that's the problem right there we look for a person as the one we look for a person to provide what no person on earth can provide we're looking for that perfect person who will never disappoint us who will never let us down who will never do us wrong and we put our unreasonable impossible expectations on them And trouble comes in when we discover after the wedding that they're just as broken as we are. And the reason is it's because we've got the wrong one. We've got the wrong one. Not the wrong spouse, but the wrong one. <clears throat> We're looking to a person to be what only God can be. The key to understand is this. God is your one. Your spouse is your two. God is your one. Your spouse is your two. And if we get this out of order, then we're starting off right away on shaky ground. So there's only one who can fill the role of being the one in our life the number one in our life. And it doesn't matter whether you're talking about marriage. It doesn't matter if you're talking about dating. 
doesn't matter if you're talking about your best friend, doesn't matter if you're talking about any other relationship or any other situation. No one can fill the place that God wants in your life but God. He wants to be number one in your marriage and in every other area of your life. So whether you're married, whether you're planning to be married, whether you're wanting to get married, whether you're never planning on being married, God wants to be number one in your life. And if you're hoping to get married, would like to get married someday, I, I, here, here's the best advice I think I can give you. Seek the one. Seek God while preparing for the two. Got that? Seek the one while preparing for the two. Seek God while preparing for the two. And I like what Andy Stanley says. He says, become the person that you're looking for. Right? You looking for a, if you're looking for or, or hoping for or wanting a certain type of person, you become that person. Because when you become that person, you'll attract that person. When God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, he made it very clear that nothing and nobody was to come before him. And that covers any single area of our lives. It covers marriage. It covers dating. It covers friendships, any relationships. It covers your finances. It covers your career. It covers your hobby. It covers any area at all. God wants to be our top priority. Nothing else will work. Anything else is, our, is, is, is your top priority. Anything else is your number one, and your life's going to be out of order. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a pastor. I'm saying it because it's true. I've seen it over and over and over in I don't know how many, mer- er, er, how many um, years of ministry, 35, 38, whatever it was. I've seen it over and over, in, in, in both in my life, been, been married 42 years, and both in my life and in others. When we seek anything over and above God, it never works out well for us. Let me give you an example of what can happen when we make seeking somebody else our one and seeking God our number two, <coughs> when God takes a back seat. I think one of the toughest jobs in this world is being a single mom, right? I mean, being a single mom, you're there 24-7, you're on the job, doesn't matter if you're sick or if you're not sick, you're caring for your child, you're taking care of, you know, somebody, and you have nobody else, you know, with a husband and wife, uh, you know, and, and, and kids, when, when you get sick, then the spouse can take over and and will help take care of the, you know, uh, take care of you and take care of the child. And, but when you're a single mom or a single parent, there's nobody to step in, especially if you don't live near your family. I mean, there is nobody that can help. And it doesn't matter if you feel like you got, you know, a foot in the grave already. You've got to get up and take care of your, you know, three-year-old Johnny or Susie or, 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 or whatever it is, Right. I mean, I think it's one of the, the, the toughest jobs, and my heart goes out for being a single mom. It's hard, 
it's lonely, and there's never a break. A number of years ago, I was talking to a single mom. I'd been single for a while, and <clears throat> had been, you know, praying, and, you know, God, bring along somebody, bring along a, a husband, bring along a companion, you know, bring along somebody that I can share life with. And um, been praying that way for a while. One day, we were out in an outreach together, a um, bunch of us, and, you know, as she started talking to me, and, you know, she came up to me, and she was tired of waiting. She was tired of waiting, tired of being lonely, and she actually said to me, I've been waiting on God long enough. I'm tired of waiting. I'm lonely, and if God's not going to bring me something, bring me someone, then I'm going to take matters into my own hands. This exact phrase she used, I'm going to take matters into my own hands, find someone myself. Wow. I knew at the moment when she was telling me that, that she was headed for trouble. See, what she was telling me was, God's not number one. Number one is going to be a husband. Number one is finding a spouse, finding a husband, finding somebody that I won't be lonely, somebody that will help me with, you know, with, 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 with life, a, a companion. She was looking for someone else to be her number one, and when she said that, I knew she was headed for trouble, and she found it. She found a guy all right. Not long after that, she found herself in an abusive relationship from which she had to escape. Seeking anyone or anything else above God is always a mistake. So the first vow, the vow of priority is, I promise God will be my first priority and my spouse will be my second. I promise God will be my first priority and my spouse will be my second. You make that vow to yourself and you make that vow to whoever it is you're about to marry or, 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 or thinking about marrying. God's first in my life. And you say, I love you. But God is first, and you're second. No one else comes before God in priority. But then under God, before any other relationship, is your spouse. Spouse is number two. God's number one. That's a given now. So the next relationship and priority is your spouse. And I see, I've, I, I, I've seen people just get this wrong. But Genesis 2.24 says, That's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. They become one flesh. The word leaves there, it means to loosen or relinquish. To loosen or relinquish. You see, when you're growing up, your primary relationship is with your parents. I mean, they're responsible for feeding you, changing your diaper, you know, giving you clothes to wear, giving you a house to live in, raising you. You're dependent on them for survival, especially the younger you go. As you get older, you begin to get a little bit more independence, uh, probably earlier than what your parents are willing to give it to you. Uh, at least so often the case, but, but your primary you know, uh, uh, relationship is with your parents. You're dependent upon them for, for survival. But as you grow older, things change. And as things change, I mean, you never stop honoring your parents, as Scripture says. You honor your parents 
But when you get married, your priority shifts to from your parents to your spouse. God's number one, but now you have another number two because you relinquish your parents from the number two spot and your spouse now occupies that spot. And I've, you know, I've seen, I, I, I've seen relationships get into trouble when that hasn't happened. I'm not saying you can't have a close relationship with your parents. You should have that. All things, you know, well. But, let's use the example of, a, uh, you know, something goes wrong in the marriage and the wife just, you know, runs home to mom. You know, m mother and daughter have a very tight relationship, which is good. But instead of working things out here, they run over here. And mom or, 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 or dad, whoever it is, fills that number two spot rather than their spouse. And, you know, I've seen that cause okay, I'm, I'm thinking of uh, uh, I can remember as a kid when my uh, youngest uncle uh, got married. I remember as being a kid probably about this old you know, about this tall, going to the wedding, and I remember, you know, my uncle and, and you know, my aunt getting married, and, you know, this is uh, uh, a number of years back, quite a few, and that, and then I found out later, you know, several years down the road, I don't know how long they were married, but they were getting divorced, and I'm, and, and, I, and I question, you know, why, and I was old enough by this time to, you know, understand things, and the issue was, his job was going to move him away a little bit and she wasn't willing to move away from her mother. She just wasn't. She had to live right there with her mom. Not, not in the same house, but I mean, she had to live there with her mom. She wasn't willing to, to, to move with her husband to, uh, uh, to another city. So they ended up getting divorced. Because the number two was never the husband. The number two was still the mom. That's out of order. God is first, spouse is second. Before parents, before any kids, you know, any kids that might come along, your spouse is second. You know, the Bible describes the... Um, the marriage relationship with your spouse as being one flesh. It never says that about any other relationship. One flesh. That's why divorce is, if you've, you know, a number of you have gone through it, you know, or you've had family members that have, it's traumatic. It's traumatic for everyone involved. I like to describe it like this. Think about someone walking up to you and just ripping your arm out of its socket and off of your shoulder, just separating it, tearing that flesh, just, that's painful. That's traumatic. And that's the effect that divorce has on the people involved, the whole family, not just kids, but, but the individuals as well.
the good news is God is a God of redemption. God is a God of grace. God is a God of healing. And he comes into our lives and he heals us. He comes into our, our, our lives and, you know, he hel- he, God's the only one that can put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Do you realize that? He's the only one that can unscramble an egg. And whatever mess we're in in our lives, God can bring healing into it. Sometimes I've seen him restore marriages and other times, you know, it's, it's, um, uh, that's just not happening. But God can still restore. The, I, I, I was talking to somebody recently. He, he and his wife, um, uh, well, I was talking to the family. He and his, uh, the, the, this man and his, his wife had gotten divorced, you know, years before and all that. And it turns out that now God did such a work of healing in the relationship. They're friends again, both remarried, but they're friends again. Um, and, and, you know, she's even been over to, you know, uh, uh, their house, you know, together and, and, you know, and, and pulled the, the, the next wife aside and, and said, you know, she's really a good person. I'm glad you found her. And said, treat her right. You know, <laughs> but God can bring healing in any situation. But why go through the trauma in the first place? Now, so other than God, your spouse is your priority. What, what does that mean we should do? What do you do when something's a priority? You protect it, right? You protect it. Hus- Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for. Paul speaks of a relationship between husbands and wives as being like the relationship between Christ and the church. And he says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? What did he do? He laid down his life for it. That's why Jesus said in John 15, 13, there's no greater love than, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And, you know, because that's what he was about to do for us. That's what he was about to do for the church. It's a sacrificial love that puts the other first. It's a love that protects. It protects. Someone comes to my house and attacks or threatens my wife, my kids, my grandkids, anybody in the family, you better believe I'm going after them. I'm not going to let them harm, not going to let them hurt somebody in my family. We model our love after the love that Christ has for the church. One way we show this is by putting their needs first our spouse's needs first and this this priority is is um i wanted to start with this one because it's so important because if we don't get this then we're going to struggle until we do get it i mentioned you know lisa and i well we we just recently celebrated our 42nd anniversary a couple weeks ago we have a good marriage um, but we've seen our share of challenges. For one thing, I didn't always get this. Kind of learned this the hard way and through talking to people after they had learned it. But I didn't always have my priorities straight in the right order. A few years after we married, 
I was working a full-time job, young, working a full-time job in retail. I mean, I got married at 20. Um, and Lisa would just turned 18 like three weeks before. Um, so, but I was working a full-time job in retail. I was also serving as a lay assistant pastor uh, in a church the next town over from where we live. We lived in Fort Wayne, and our church was in Decatur. Um, and Lisa was pregnant with our first child, with David, who was up here just a little while ago. Um, I mean, toward the end of our latter end of the pregnancy, her blood pressure just went through the roof, and she was sent home on bed rest. They said, you go to bed and you don't get out. Just bed rest for you. It was, it was that high. I mean, I would like to say that I'd rush home from work every day and be there to care for her and, and you know, stay home on my days off to be there and care for her, take care of her needs and all of that and take care of the house or the apartment and all of that. But my priorities were all out of whack. God was first, but Lisa wasn't second. Ministry was second. And I hate to admit it at the time, but, but at that time, you know, but instead of, instead of spending my free time helping and taking care of her, I took off to do ministry. Not very spiritual, really. But that's what I thought I was supposed to do. Because I thought putting God first, well, that meant putting ministry first also. And I confused with ministry with God. And I had my priorities all out of whack. I wasn't very smart. But over the last 42 years, I learned something. I learned to get my priorities in order. God is first in my life. Nothing and no one comes before him. Second in my life is Lisa. No one comes before her. Nothing comes before her other than God. Third is my family. Then ministry. That's the priorities. And things have gotten, gone a whole lot smoother once I figured that out. Because... Those priorities affect the choices we make every day. Those priorities affect the decisions we make every day. We've got to get our priorities straight. I still have a lot to learn. I'm looking forward to the next 42 years, but at least my priorities are right. It's God, Lisa, family, then ministry. Our priorities matter because they have a huge impact in our lives. Let's have our worship team come on up. <clears throat> I want to pray. And I want to challenge each one of us today to take a look at what our priorities are. Is God our number one? Or are we pursuing something or someone above him? And if you're married, 
Is your spouse your number two? The most important one in your life? Other than God. Now you say, well, I have young kids at home and they need, yeah. They take a lot more attention sometimes. I, I'll, I'll give you that. That's true. But the best thing that you can do, someone once said, the best thing you can do for your kids is to love your spouse and love them well. You're giving them a model. I thank God for my parents. You know, they just passed two years ago. I thank God for them because they, they, we had five kids in the family. They showed us kids what a good marriage should look like. My parents were, um, they, they were, uh, they had the priorities right. I watched my dad. And a lot of what I learned about being a, a, a husband, at least the good stuff, uh, um, comes from him. Mom had Alzheimer's later on in life, and as that started progressing, I remember being, you know, over at the house, and we were visiting because they lived in Florida at the time, and, and I remember my dad telling me, they're both retired, they're older. I mean, dad just dad was 94 when he passed. Mom was 90. Um, and I remember my dad telling me late, you know, late in life, he goes, my number one job is to take care of your mother. Number one job. And that's, he did that as long as he could. And even when, you know, he couldn't physically do it, he had it provided for. So he showed us. He, he sacrificially gave himself for mom. That's what makes a marriage thrive and that wasn't all easy it wasn't always easy especially with five kids growing up especially with these particular five kids growing up I mean my sister and my brothers were horrible um, <laughs> anyway um, I want to challenge you to look at you know what your priority is what is number who, who's number one in your life who's number two Now, I realize that doing a series like this, I just want to say this off the bat, is it's difficult because not everybody here is married. Not everybody wants to be. Some would like to be and are not. Some have been married more than once. See, the thing is we're broken people living in a broken world. And divorce happens sometimes even when we don't want it. Brokenness attacks our lives. Sometimes it's our own choices and decisions, and sometimes it's just life happening to us. And when it does, it leaves behind a hurting and wounded people in its wake. So I want to pray. And wherever you find yourself in this mix, just receive what God has for you. Just close your eyes. I don't want anybody distracted. Father, we pray right now and ask for your Holy Spirit and your kingdom to come.
Lord, I pray for those whose lives have been affected by divorce. Maybe some are even fearing that right now. I pray for your healing presence to come. And the damage that was done, Lord, the the pain that's there, the hurt that's there. I ask you to come. Speak words of life and of hope. It doesn't mean their life is over. I ask you to take any pain from the divorce, residual pain or whatever, and just let it wash away right now in your love. Any feelings of guilt or shame. Lord, that's not you. Just take those away. Bring your healing. Bring your healing. Lord, those who are struggling in a marriage, it's not over till it's over. And I pray, Lord, that you would enter into those hearts. Bring grace. Bring forgiveness. Melt away bitterness. Soften hearts, Lord. Heal the hurts and the wounds. Soften hearts. For those who desire to be married, Lord, that they would pursue their one while waiting for their two. That the pursuit of the two, a spouse, would not interfere or take the place of or circumvent the the pursuit of you as their number one. Lord, for those who are not married, whether they never were or whether they used to be or whatever, and who have no desire to be married. I pray that you would help them to find true fulfillment in you as their number one. Lord, we don't have to be married to be complete. We don't have to be married to be fulfilled. We don't have to be married to have purpose. We don't have to be married to have meaning into life. The Apostle Paul is our example for that. Jesus is our example for that. So Lord, I pray that You would help those who never do want to get married 
to not feel like they're something that they should do that other people want them to do, but it's not what you're saying. And help them to just be who they are and find fulfillment and purpose and meaning in you. In Jesus' name, amen.